0: Hello and welcome to the latest round of 538's Totally Subjective Presidential Odds. This is our series of early campaign conversations where we use the very little data we have and we just run with it to the land of speculation but informed speculation. We're handicapping the GOP and democratic fields. My name is Jody Avergan, podcast host here at Five Thirty Eight, And with me today is Nate Silver and our politics writer, Harry Enten. And also with us is special guest, Catherine Miller, politics editor at BuzzFeed. Is that your title, Catherine? Yes, it is. All right. I got it right. Great on Twitter, by the way, Catherine Miller. Uh, I should say before we get going that if you're listening to this in the feed of our podcast, What's the Point? Don't worry. A proper episode is coming very soon, but we figured we'd give this to you as well. And if you're listening to this online somewhere, why don't you go subscribe to What's the Point so that you don't miss uh, future episodes? Why not?
1: Subscribe to What's the Point? I mean, our podcasts are pretty good now.
0: All right. Pretty good. We'll take it. Okay. Uh, And we are going to launch a proper politics podcast this winter, but this is our occasional home for now. So let's get going. The way, the way this works is we are providing odds for each candidate in the uh, Republican and Democratic field for whether they will win the nomination in their party. So right now, as the race stands on this day, what do we think their odds are of winning the nomination? This is kind of a pre-debate. We wanted to sneak this in before the debate because potentially these odds would change tomorrow. So let's start going down the list. And I can't believe I'm going to say these words <laughs> in this order. But let's start with the front runner, Donald Trump. Mate. <laughs> Donald Trump's odds of winning the Republican nomination. 2 2%. Two percent. Percent. Catherine. 0. 0. Zero. <laughs> Harry.
2: Negative -10%. I am digging in fully on this one. I don't care that he's leading in the polls. Donald Trump is not going to be the Republican nominee. If he is the Republican nominee, I will buy Dave Wagle a lunch and go to that lunch in a bikini. Okay.
1: Um, <laughs> so I'm the I'm the Trump optimist, I guess, with yeah, the two yeah, percent
0: Harry, Harry yeah. for the first time in political odds, has gone to negative numbers. And does that mean that then you have more odds to play yeah, with? Yeah, it's cheating, dude. It is might, maybe cheating. You have more odds to play with for the other candidates? That's correct. it all has to add it, up to 100? That's correct. All right. So he's really thinking outside well, the, look, I, you the know, box
1: here. You can be really snarky about Trump. For me, the primary is basically an obstacle course, right? Um you know, the first hurdle is can he survive this first debate, the initial round of media scrutiny or actually like a decline in media attention is a lot of it. Right. Um, where right now he's getting about 50 percent or 60 percent of all the media coverage of the entire campaign. What if Ben Carson or Ted Cruz or Scott Walker becomes a big story? Right. Um, well, voters who like several of these candidates haven't shopped very much then say, well, I heard Scott Walker's name yesterday. So I'm going to, to name him as my first choice and not Trump. Um but then you get into a later stage where the universe of voters becomes more informed. You get likely voter polls instead of registered voter polls. Um, then the voting begins. It's a long slog. And whether Trump's organization is up to stuff snuff, I don't know, right? Um, but it's a tough course.
3: There's also, uh, the summer will end, like the summer will end eventually. There will be more news. The day that you didn't hear very much about Trump was the day there was actual news about Hillary Clinton's email. Yeah. So, like, once there's more news, fewer candidates, like, once a few of these guys drop out, which probably will happen after the first debate, maybe, um, you'll end up with, like, a smaller group of people. And Walker, I mean, Walker, Bush, Rubio are actually good candidates. Like, there will be more people getting around them.
0: So one of my questions about Trump is whose momentum is he stealing? Like, is there a candidate out there who right now Mm -hmm. would be gaining traction were it not – for Trump, or is it like when Trump leaves, we hit the reset button, everyone's back to zero, and then we, we start again?
2: Yeah, I mean, when you look at Trump's support across different demographic groups, it's pretty consistent. Maybe he's doing slightly better among men than women, and maybe he's doing slightly among better among those who support the Tea Party than not. But I would again bring up that we had this show before. We've seen it in 2011 where we saw these candidates rise and fall, Herman Cain, Rick Perry, Michelle Bachman, and they're bumps lasted about a month to a month and a half we're only a month into
1: this trump thing
2: you so,
0: really think it's analogous you no one here wants to make the case that the trump bump is a little more than what happened with herman cain or newt gingrich well I'd,
1: so so far it's on that cain gingrich trajectory right it tracks it pretty well so far but look it's entirely possible that he'll hold on to 20 or 25 percent of the vote through iowa um pat buchanan did steve Catherine Forbes did.
3: very suspicious of that well i'm sorry <laughs> this, really this is the optimist for case for right. trump
1: right um, and then what happens is that the rest of the field starts to consolidate those candidates, never get above twenty five percent and you can 't win a nomination with twenty five percent of the vote, especially when your party really really make wants to make sure that you are not the g o p nominee but you know um but people have really, really short memories in politics I and mean, it's happened in like this happened like six times, yeah, literally six times, kind of g- Gingrich twice. In 2011 and 2012, mm-hmm. right? And people act like this has never happened before And people act whatsoever. like this
0: debate is going to be something like we've never seen before. And I remember the debates the last round where you had Bachman and Santorum and Gingrich up there, and that was as much of a circus as we might see tomorrow night. What do you the think,
3: the funny thing will be is if Trump actually shows up and is like very reserved and like prepared and <laughs> gives like sensible answers to everything and like it'll be well, like a right... strange like thing where people will be like, oh I yeah, know. Is that
0: his best move?
3: It would be, but I doubt it. I mean, th- there will be every Fox will want Megyn Kelly to tear into Donald Trump. Other people, it will be difficult to resist for like John Kasich to he has he likes to get into it with people like there will be a there's a and a bunch of them need to have a good debate night and like that would be a quick way to not necessarily have a good debate night but like a way to make a splash
0: but harry just going back to that question of is there another candidate who is sitting here going oh man this is this was supposed to be my month to get my momentum i mean is Cruz? When Trump fades, does Cruz still have a chance to do his bump or was his bump going to be July 2015?
2: I think any of these candidates really have a good chance to be bumped. But the thing that I would look at would be the favorable ratings for all of these candidates. And we know that Trump's favorable ratings are still bad. They're not as bad as they once were, but they're still bad. They're towards the middle bottom of the pack. And if you're looking at the favorable ratings, then you'd say somebody like a Marco Rubio or Scott Walker should see a bump if they can convince those people who see them favorably to then say, I want to vote for them.
1: But I'm with Catherine thinking this is a pretty deep and talented GOP field, right? Um, you know, the fact is that Trump is winning 20, 25 percent of the vote. That means he's not winning 75 or 80 percent of the vote. Um, what we know of those voters uh, is that they're often pretty skeptical of him. Uh, so I don't know. That's why, you know, I mean you use the term frontrunner before and even that term you could you could critique right um in horse racing a front runner is sometimes a horse that gets out to a really quick start but then predictably fades and maybe there's a little bit but of he is
0: that. running in front for at least a little bit but yes i see
1: but by one measure there are lots of measures of you yeah. know if you look at favorability ratings what we calculate he's like 13th out of 17 right right and endorsements he's tied for for last uh You know, and kind of organizational strength in Iowa and New Hampshire, he's probably not last, but he's somewhere in the middle of the pack, right? So, you know, these are all predictive indicators. Probably looking at national polls of adults or registered voters that have 300-person sample sizes in in July, you know, not high on the predictive list.
3: Rand is the person who's probably been hurt the most by it. That's the the very, like, anti-Washington, like, let me not be safe, let me say this, that, and the other thing is kind of in his general wheelhouse of of brand and like they have not had a good month they've not had a good summer probably cut into a lot of what they wanted to talk about and
0: he strikes me as the one who maybe at the debate will feel like his back is against the wall and could go toe to toe sort of barb for barb with with donald trump and maybe i don't know maybe
3: <laughs> maybe yeah, who knows
0: all right let's move on uh bush nate i have bush at 28 percent 28% chance of winning the nomination. 35. Catherine has memorized hers, by the way. <laughs> Harry and, and Nate are looking at their sheets, and Catherine has memorized hers. And Harry? 30. 30. So, Catherine, you're a slight Bush optimist. Uh, why?
3: I I actually I made these odds yesterday before he ah. screwed up very badly, which I'll get to in just a second. I do think generally I would say Bush has they have a very good operation – they have a lot of money. They've hired good people. They have great recognition name-wise. He's very smart. He's actually good at retail politics. Um, the the big flaw for them is basically the candidate. He's, like, out of step on a couple policies. He also does things like, say, on stage, I don't know if we should spend half a billion dollars on women's health, which, if he is the nominee, will be, like, in every single Hillary Clinton ad all year. Um so I, I think he has a lot of advantages, he's probably like from my perspective most likely, but also still at thirty five. Like I don't think it's
0: a right. Thing. It's everyone has all three of you have your odds pretty pretty well spread out, or at least among three candidates. But Harry?
2: Uh, I mean it's exactly that. It's that Bush is going to have the organizational strength. He is probably going to be leading in endorsements. That's a guess just based upon all the connections that the Bush people have made over the years. He's going to have arguably the best chance of winning the nomination of any of the candidates, especially at this point, but the field still beats him. It's been that way the entire time. He is a little too moderate for this Republican Party, but not moderate enough that it keeps him from any chance of winning. But if Bush is father and brother weren't the president, and he had the Bush name, you know, if they had been longtime publican, you know, policymakers, and he had all this organization, and he was a little more conservative, he'd probably be at 50, 60%. But as it is, he's being held back by a number of things, mainly his record and his family.
1: I mean, the case against Bush is that he hasn't received very many endorsements so far, right? Um, The kind of conservative press's coverage of him has been not unrelentingly negative, but skeptical, Right? When you see, like, Huffington Post did a poll of kind of party insiders, people who might be caucus voters, and they uh, are lukewarm on Bush, right? Um, I mean, you know, you guys did a good job of laying out the case for Bush, and remember, you know, Romney came from that same template, basically. Um, I think the fact that this year's field, in my opinion, is quite strong means that the GP might feel like we can have our cake and, and eat it too, right? Um, whether it's Walker, who I'm optimistic about. Or Rubio or someone else, right? Um, You know, there's been some talk about, is Trump good news for Bush? I guess I haven't seen a treatment of that that seems very data-driven or empirical, but I can see— What's the argument
0: there?
2: I guess it makes Bush seem more serious by comparison. And, you know, as each of these bumps have occurred with the other candidates as they announced or whatever— Bush has always remained near the top of at least the national polls, and I think that says something. So the something. other
0: candidates' bumps haven't necessarily eaten into him.
2: Right. Bush had his own bump when he announced, but he's been pretty steady, you know, between 10 and 15 percent of the vote.
0: Uh, Nate, do you want to? I think since the last time we've done this, we, we, we at 538 launched our endorsement tracker. Do you want to talk about the role of that and which candidates are benefiting? The most.
1: Yeah. So what people I think maybe don't realize about campaigns that it's really the party deciding who it wants to nominate. Right. And the party is a complicated thing. Um, the party means, you know, uh, the head of the RNC down to people who are actually voting in in Iowa and New Hampshire and whatnot. Um, but, you know, it's more of a smoke filled room process still than people realize, even though it might literally take place in a cornfield in Iowa over many months over many different types of conversations that are occurring. Um, but historically looking at endorsements is a good way to know what influential Republicans, what the party quote unquote thinks about the candidates. And so far we've seen on the democratic side, Hillary Clinton, I think has all but one endorsement on the GOP side. Most people have stayed on the sidelines so far. So Christie has a few Bush has a few They're in the first, first and second place in our chart, I guess. Um, but compared to most years, especially the GOP, which historically, you know, quote, falls in line, um, people are biding their time and waiting for, for some candidate to impress them.
3: Same thing with donors, too, for the yeah. most part. The the major donors have really not quite committed to, to anybody uh, so far. Are they
0: staying on the sidelines or are they spreading their wealth?
3: There's a evenly? couple of them who have given a couple places, but most of them have really sat out. I mean, S- Paul Singer, Sheldon Ellison, and um, – the Kochs have said that they won't play in the primary. They kind of like Walker, but they—they're not—they're go- going to stay out of the primary. But the other two probably will actually eventually commit to a candidate, and they haven't.
2: It should be said that Romney was a in significantly stronger position at this point in the 2012 cycle than Bush is now. You know, Romney had a largely New Hampshire, which he was able to play off of after he quasi lost Iowa, depending on which count you use, and he was even though he didn't have that many endorsements, he still had the vast majority of those who endorsed. Bush is not anywhere near that. This is much more like the 1988 Democratic um, primary season where Gephardt was ahead in endorsements, but really had a very small lead and many people held back until later on.
1: The other tough thing for Bush is that um, usually the most moderate candidate is seen as the most electable. You know, his favorability numbers aren't all that good with the general electorate, neither Hillary's, but his aren't an advantage there um he loses in most national head to head polls against her again means almost nothing right now from a predictive standpoint but can affect perceptions people are worried about the dynasty angle his uh his older brother was president of course and is not terribly popular um so you know that mitigates one rationale for for picking him
3: and one of the things too with that is that in a hypothetical clinton bush race it sounds it seems like the clinton people are are planning on running a very liberal turn out the base embrace the obama coalition kind of campaign and the reality is is even though bush does pretty well like no one is really which it sounds very lame to say but like no one's super excited about jeb bush like there is not exactly a um Policy, the mo- policy or personality driven motivational thing, like maybe people are will be ultimately pleased or like satisfied with him in the Republican Party. But it's not clear that people are like excited to go yeah. vote for Jeb Bush.
0: Ultimately pleased is a good bar <laughs> to set. All okay, right. Let's move on to Walker, uh, who's third on in the polling right now and is is also for all three of mm-hmm. you. One of the the front runners and uh, Nate's favorite word uh, Nate, your odds for Walker?
1: So twenty-eight percent. I have him tied. Am indecisive and have him tied with Bush. All
0: right, Catherine. I have him at twenty-five. Twenty-five. So ten less than than Bush. And Harry also took the coward's way out and has him tied. Thirty percent. Thirty percent, same as Bush. So, uh, Catherine, why why do you why do you have that ten point gap between Bush and Walker?
3: Mine, that's more arbitrary than anything. I just th- yeah. kind of still, still, still generally think <laughs> well, we, we that- should
1: say, if you go to betting markets, they have a much bigger gap than any of us have, really? right? They have, like, Bush at 40% and Walker, I think is in second, but like 15 So we're all, compared to the Convention of Wisdom, I think Walker optimists.
3: And I'm generally a Walker op- optimist for the... I think he's... I think one thing that will come through he's got some problems but one thing that will come through in the debates and probably as the year goes on is he has a very clear very strong conservative record that's different than a lot of people in the field he has executive experience two terms he's he's very smart he doesn't necessarily always like i he's good at talking about their their record and like public sector unions are very unpopular in the Republican party and he's somebody who's done it twice and like you know won three elections basically in Wisconsin and will do well. They've also done, like, on a – this is, like, on a much minor level, but they've – so far they've put together a pretty good campaign. They do actually really good digital work. Like, they've had good ads. They're good on Snapchat. They're good on Instagram. Like, they're uh, – it's a very – like, it seems like a very adept campaign. Like, those are small things, but it seems – it, to me, indicates right. that, like, the Iowa campaign the primary – yeah.
0: the people who vote in the IR primary aren't on Snapchat, probably. Probably but, not. They're all – But it's but, a nice yeah, indicator no. <laughs> yeah, that they have their act not. together. Yeah,
3: the campaign yeah. is – pretty nimble
2: right there are three things walker has going for him one he has consistently held a lead over the past six months of going into the iowa caucus that's more for the iowa caucus polls that's more than you can say for any of the other candidates new hampshire doesn't have a clear leader over the last six months national really doesn't have a clear lead over the last six months but walker has held that lead even as trump has risen up and obviously Iowa was the first contest if, if walker could win there and then you know break through in new hampshire which he could then it's pretty much, you know, a ride to the nomination. You in Iowa, you in New Hampshire, you've got a pretty good shot. Two, he's seen as electable. He obviously won in Wisconsin, which is a swing state. He won there three times in four years. There could be some arguments about midterm electorate versus presidential, but even if you adjust, Walker has a pretty strong record. And it's a
0: strong rhetorical point. I won three elections.
2: Right. And then three, he is seen as the candidate who is closest to the average Republican voter. So YouGov took polls over four weeks in June and they asked, them to place the candidates on an ideological scale, and then asked each Republican to place themselves on an ideolo- ideological scale. And Walker was seen as the closest to the average Republican voter. That's Those are three things that make Walker quite dangerous.
1: And as we were talking earlier about how they, it's a consensus building process, right? That's really helpful that Walker, you know, he's not, um, well, this is a question, right? He's not seen as, oh, he's a crazy winger. He's a Tea Party candidate, right? There's that risk. And you might see, jeb's campaign or whatnot or rubio try and tarnish him with that brush right um you know for now his favorability ratings are really high within the gop he seems to be doing a pretty good job of navigating that um and like harry said he has a story that i won three elections in a blue state they threw they threw all the resources at me and i and i won right um you know that might not be that dispositive toward anything in particular um but kind of as compared to bush let's say well he's definitely more conservative. Yeah. And it's at least a tie on electability, right? So why would we why would we pick Bush? All right, let's move on. And if we
0: were to go by the polling as it stands right now, our next candidate would be Carson, who Nate actually forgot to include when he sent me his odds. One percent, but now he's gone back to one percent. But let's let's continue in what we'll maybe refer to as the top tier and go to Rubio, and then we'll we'll come back to to, to Dr. Carson. But Rubio, uh, Nate. Odds of winning the nomination?
1: 21%, 21%. So I'm using most of my remaining numbers up here.
0: Yeah, most of you are kind of, once we're past this group, you don't have much left to play with, except for Harry, who went negative 10 on Trump and really gave himself a lot to work with. But, Catherine?
3: I have at met 20. But
2: 25.
0: Okay, so you're all around the same spot, but Harry maybe a little bit higher, and your gap between Walker and Rubio, not as big, so I guess you get to talk first now.
2: I mean, the question for Rubio is, can he put it all together? He has so much potential. He is somebody who has the ideology pretty much of where the past few nominees have been, um, as seen by the public. He has a fairly conservative record. He's someone who appeals to both the establishment in Washington as well as the Tea Party crowd. And... He is seen as the most favorable candidate in poll after poll after poll among Republicans. He also does well among second choice. You know, yes, your first choice, and who's your second choice? He's right there near the top of Bush. But merely being well-liked doesn't mean that people are going to pull the lever for you. And in the polls, at least recently, nationally, Iowa, New Hampshire, he is, you know, seventh, eighth. But, of course, first place is only near 20% if it's Donald Trump and the real first place, the who I call the serious candidates, are only in the low to mid double digits. So, you know, but again, it comes down to whether people can see him as a serious presidential contender and whether he can convert this likability into actual votes.
3: The thing with Rubio, the, the, the biggest mark against Rubio is they still have not figured out how to talk about immigration. They do not talk about it well. They don't talk about it in a cohesive way. The Bush people... They also don't talk about it that well, but they're much more consistent, and it's much more like, (laughs) here's what I've got, and like, you're taking it or leaving it. The Rubio people oscillate on it, and that remains pretty much why is that? It's unclear to me. I mean, they, they, he has, he supported the. The comprehensive bill that was very unpopular in the Republican Party. And then he basically backtracks rejected that. And they've never quite completely distanced themselves from it. They kind of sometimes give the vibe that they talk about it differently to different people, which is not something that you want to project. That will be a big problem in and of itself. If that's indicative of how they're going to campaign, it's going to be a big problem for them overall, if that's like a, a small slice of how they're actually campaigning. I think the big source of his appeal in Iowa... I don't think he's actually all that popular with Tea Party people anymore. I think immigration has really hurt him there. Is that basically he's he's like a nice, young, responsible young man. And that is like his... He polls really, really well with old people. With very old voters. Which is good in the Republican Party. That's who you... He polled
0: well with that one old guy who just kept giving him money like every yeah. six months <laughs> yeah. in Florida. Wayne, <laughs> Wayne uh,
3: Brayman, right. I think. Exactly.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think the risk for rubio is um getting lost in the field a little bit right um he does have kind of the best favorability numbers or tied for the best with with walker right um i think in terms of electability you could talk about his hispanicness um talk about being a fresh face he's not going to rile up people on the left as much as a walker would right mm-hmm. so maybe not motivate as much democratic turnout um you know immigration's a tricky issue for him if you average it out though he's kind of very close to where the party is on the whole. He's kind of at a nice spot where he still has some Tea Party cred enough that they might not vehemently hate him being nominated <laughs> although they might not support him. Um, but you know you could have said some things about like Tim Palenti four years ago and Pawlenty, uh got lost. Rubio in contrast plenty has plenty of money. Um, so you know there's probably not an immediate threat Uh but, you know, if the field starts to consolidate and it's kind of an unpredictable process and you're kind of not in that bandwagon of mixing metaphors when that happens, there's there's some risk there. I think also, um, you know, second place is a fine place to be in the long run. But if you come in second consistently in each of, say, um, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina and Florida because of Bush, then at some point you need some type of win or you get pretty bad Press coverage, people won't rally to you as much.
3: It's also they haven't really communicated well, and it's very early, so they're, it's not necessarily a big knock against them. What exactly their plan is in terms of, yeah. like, it's very clear. Walker wants to win Iowa and hopefully look like a credible. I mean, candidate. their
0: electoral plan. Their, their electoral plan, plan
3: that that Walker wants to win Iowa and come into New Hampshire as a credible candidate that maybe doesn't win, but like comes in very highly and then maybe moves on and starts racking up states. Rubio uh, Bush clearly is counting on winning New Hampshire. It's not really clear exactly what Rubio plans to do in terms of winning yeah. an early state.
0: So Harry, if you were consulting the Rubio campaign, it's a shudder to think, what would be their path?
2: All right, I think that you have to hope for one of a few things to happen. One, maybe you can in Iowa, you know the winner might only need twenty to twenty five percent that's not anyone could really win twenty to twenty five percent so either it's Rubio winning there. Or maybe he can hope that Walker doesn't win, but someone like a Ted Cruz wins or maybe a Rand Paul wins, someone who ultimately at the end of the day probably will not be seen as credible to most of the party. And then you could go to New Hampshire and, you know, Rubio's numbers there are fine. Rubio probably, at least according to some reports, has one of the best organizations in South Carolina going. So if he can get to South Carolina and still be alive, that's, you know, pretty much right next door to Florida. Um, It's a state that's sort of right in in the middle of where the Republican Party is, sort of like where Rubio is. So if Rubio can get to South Carolina as a credible candidate, then he's in a pretty decent position.
1: I mean, you know, we've seen a few signals (laughs) that they're trying to talk up South Carolina a bit. I mean, you know, to me, a Rubio path to the nomination, he'd probably do well in states like California, right? Kind of maybe um, states where there are a lot of delegates in a diverse electorate relatively speaking right that could help them a bit but but i don't know i mean the press likes people who who win early on i agree with harry's take though that if you had a cruz or a Rand paul or god forbid a donald trump right win in iowa right um then you might have kind of a a who's the real conservative, the electable conservative election then in in South Carolina. And that could play a real benefit.
0: Right. So so a win by one of those candidates in Iowa, does that extend the race? Or does it mean that everyone freaks out and
1: consolidates around one person earlier than they normally would? I mean, it depends which of those candidates it is, right? If it's Huckabee, for example, people will say, we've seen this before. We can kind of dismiss it. If it's Trump, well, you know, there's going to be a – Category five Firearms, media yeah.
3: hurricane <laughs> storm yeah, yeah the, the and uh, the the big the big thing for Rubio the Rubio people have always emphasized for most of the year that that they thought the debates would be very important for them and now they begin and I think that's they they are counting on the debates making him look class of, you know class above. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you want to go to an example where an unacceptable candidate won, you know, a primary or a caucus and then the party kind of maybe freaked out a little bit, I think 96 when Buchanan was able to win in New Hampshire with, you know, 26 or 27 percent of the vote. And then it got to South Carolina and basically the entire organization got behind Dole. Dole easily won there and then it was over in like a flash. It was it was just amazing how quickly it ended. So I would say that it would probably speed up, you know, where things are going if someone uncredible wins and i don't think uncredible is a word but someone non-credible wins um and they're gonna you know quickly try and figure out we got we need to we need to squash this and rubio is in a good position because he's well liked across the party
0: all right that's 1996 and 1988 that harry has talked about like he was there let's see how early of an election (laughs) we can get to uh for harry uh that seems to me like the first tier. But does anyone want to make a case for another candidate being talked about in that first grouping?
1: Going once, I—I I mean, I think there's a pretty big gap, in in my view, right. All right. I mean, roughly, I thought about it this way for a long time. It's like 25 percent Bush, 25 percent Walker, 25 percent Rubio, and 25 percent other. Right. And I know I have Bush and Walker now a bit ahead of Rubio. Um, but that's the but tier. I think there's yeah. All
0: right. So let's let's go. To the second tier, and we're going to cruise through this, but we can give a note or two on some of these candidates, but I'm just going to rattle off names. Uh, So Kasich, Carson, Huckabee, Cruz, Paul, Christie. That's the second tier, and then we have our other seven or so, but maybe that's our second tier. A A lot of you have... Kasich, at least with a decent chance, except for Catherine. Catherine, you have Kasich at one. Give him one point. Yeah, you gave him one percent, whereas Nate gave Kasich six, and Harry gave him eight.
2: That Donald Trump minus percentage really paying off. Yeah, <laughs> that's
0: true. Lots to play with. But you, 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 you think that Kasich is in Graham and Santorum and Fiorina territory?
3: I, I, well, no, I gave a bunch of people zeros. So, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one. Just, okay, acknowledging Kasich with that one percent was really <laughs> me being like, it's it's not completely impossible. Um, I do think he's in a weird. John Kasich is a very interesting political personality. He has a weird delivery method on the stump where he, like, is kind of theatrical and then, like, also does a lot of asides, and it's just, like, a very acquired taste. Um, I think his approach on the Medicaid, he, did he expanded Medicaid in Ohio, that very unpopular in the Republican Party. He treats it like this very, like, I want to look St. Peter in the eye and, like, be, you know, okay um, thing that is pretty, like, an anathema to many, many Republicans. Uh, and I just don't, I think that'll ultimately be a huge problem for him.
1: You know, I think he has problems. I think they're not that different than Jeb Bush's problems, so I kind of see him as a as a backup bush as opposed to push. someone like Christie, who I think has you know we'll probably talk about Christie a bit right yeah. um you know, Kasich has polled okay in New Hampshire, right he got i mean you know all it takes now is like six percent, and you're like in third place in the polls, <laughs> right but there's a little bit of a polling pulse, sure. I suppose. The electability argument, like, hey, I won Ohio by huge margins, right, that's pretty strong. Um, you know, I think he might be more playing for the VP Derby. We'll inherently be speculated about a lot because of where he's yeah. from. Um, but, um, but you know, if Bush implodes for personality reasons, I think there'll still be some type of moderate who gets a look. And so that's kind of where that 6% comes from for me.
0: Anything on Kasich care?
2: I mean he's the only candidate when you match him up against Hillary Clinton who crushes her in their home state as long as it's not like a red state like, you know, Ted Cruz in Texas.
0: Wait. So clarify that. So basically – In their respective home states. Right.
2: So if you look at Bush versus Clinton in Florida, it's usually pretty neck and neck race depending on what poll you look at. But if you look at Kasich versus Clinton in Ohio – Kasich – Leads her by you know five to ten points. And you've written about
0: this before that if you can't win over the people in your state, this is your your, this is your skepticism about Christie. Right. Then you're in real trouble. That's exactly. I just
3: think if Kasich becomes like a real credible thing, like in the last three weeks, I've seen him say a number of things, including this my personal favorite, which was when he was in Iowa a few weeks ago, and he was like, "Iowa is a lot like Ohio. You have a lot of ethnics here." (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and like he says stuff like that that I think if he like really becomes like a was thing that of we'll become, like, was that one of those asides or that one of his that was moment. an aside Good.
0: Yeah. at least it was an aside you he told give him it, yesterday he
3: was in a like a design firm in New Hampshire and he told a group of like 20 and 30 year olds that they needed to talk to their friends about drugs
1: it's, well look he, he started <laughs> his campaign late uh, there's <laughs> yeah. a little bit of rust not yeah, that he lacks experience probably. as a politician right but I think his campaign maybe smartly decided we want to launch at this time so we can get in the debate with 4 or 5% of the vote but you know the problem is now we're at a phase where the scrutiny is amping up amping up too
0: why wouldn't one of these candidates wait even longer why wouldn't they say let's wait for the field to start clearing a little bit for people to be looking for an alternative and then I'll jump in
1: well maybe maybe rubio is kind of doing that despite having you know i can imagine one of these campaigns is saying we don't want to be the campaign that peaks too early. We understand how press coverage works. If you're at 38% and you were at 40% yesterday, you get negative press coverage. Right. They might be way out in front, right? And so, you know, um, so Rubio's gotten conspicuously little media attention recently for being inherently a fairly interesting candidate, yes. I think. And I don't know what that's.
3: People, people on the, there are people on the Rubio campaign who worked for Tim Pawlenty in 2012 and that was one of I think probably the big lessons for Polenty peaked very early and then just sort of faded. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. This next group. Uh Christie Carson, Huckabee Cruz, Paul. Anyone want to chime
1: in with a note or two? I mean, you know, we were pessimistic about Chris Christie before it was cool. <laughs> I guess I have him at 3% now in part because um if you have another candidate who surges at some point, you could imagine there being, like, a little cult of personality around Christy and the fact that um, kind of the same brash personality. One thing I think we did learn with Trump is that this is a complicated discussion, but maybe favorability ratings, while important, can change, too, sometimes. Um, so you have him at
0: 3%, Catherine, you have him at 5 and Harry has him at 1%. But could t- talk to the small part of my brain, but maybe bigger than any of these percentages, that thinks that the, the debates are Christie's moment and that he could totally show up and do his Christie thing and reintroduce himself to America and just win people over by force of personality. Look,
1: look I mean, if, if you're talking about what's the chance each one of these candidates will surge at some point, uh. he might be pretty far up that list right the media really likes covering chris christie and that helps too um but the problem is that the fundamentals for christie's campaign aren't aren't very good he's not seen as a party guy he's moderate on a lot of issues uh pretty unfavorable with independent voters now which used to be a strength of his all types of problems
3: and uh Going back, there was a March Wall Street Journal. This was like a big Rubio poll. They like to that people have talked a lot about where it, with the original second choice. I could see supporting Rubio. Rubio was the farthest, had the most support. Something like 55 percent of Republicans said they could never see themselves voting for Chris Christie, which is like, in, I mean, that's like that's pretty much a non-starter. I also think one thing, small thing that will come up in debates is people think Christie is like a tall guy and he isn't. Oh. And when you see him on stage, I have a feeling it's going to be, like, a, a surprise for some people. He's, I think he's, like, 5'9", or something like are that. Are they
0: negotiating for a stool right now? <laughs> That's probably happening behind the scenes. And, Harry, you, you've been a long-time Christie skeptic.
2: You know, I agree with Nathaniel on the idea that we have learned, at least with Donald Trump, that favorability numbers can move, even for people who are considered to be well-known. Christie's still stink. And the reason that they still stink is mostly because he's not seen as a party guy, whether it be hugging Obama in 2012 or after Sandy or whether it be his speech. And he's also seen as too moderate. And those are the same problems that, you know, trail Trump a little bit. You know, Mm -hmm. he's not seen as a party guy. He's, you know, donated to Democrats. He's seen as moderate on some of these issues such as trade. And those underlying fundamentals, even at the favorability numbers, shift for Christie, there's still a problem for him the same way that they are for Trump, even as his favorability
0: numbers have shifted. Let's do a little bit on the debate tomorrow night since we've we've kind of got our well we know what our group of ten is gonna be on the stage. I don't know what are you gonna be watching for
1: Nate um, I think I'll be watching uh Ted Cruz a lot, Ben Carson a lot um you know in terms of and we shouldn't be focused on the short term right. But one of the more important near-term dynamics is they might feel like we can capture this Trump energy in a package that um, is going to be a little bit more acceptable, right? Um, I mean, it sounds strange. I mean, Ted Cruz can be so brash and boisterous himself, right? But, you know, um, I'm sure he is steaming and saying, how come I have not captured this Trump surge? It should go to me. I actually have a little bit of organization, right? You know, I'm as good a troll as Donald Trump is, right? And I have a good media game. And so, you know, I think he might be fairly aggressive. I think, you know, by contrast, I mean, basically, you know, which candidates have very little to lose, right? I think, I think it's pretty straightforward. It would be so amazing if, if,
0: if Trump came in and just played it totally low key and then all these other candidates were just overcorrected for Trump and then you had Christie and Cruz going nuts while Trump was just sort of like, we'll see what happens.
3: That'd be that would be actually be great, but um, from like an entertainment perspective, um, I my big thing is I think Rand Paul has had a terrible summer. They haven't raised money. They really haven't raised money from big donors in the Super PAC. They only raised three million dollars. Um, they aren't polling well, really. And now they've they've just had some uh, some of the people involved with their larger campaign operation were were just indicted today. Uh, so I think or are going to be indicted, um, and so I think. The big he's – he's going to need a big night and he also doesn't have the most self-restraint in terms of like resisting attacks. Like if Chris Christie comes after him, if Donald Trump comes after him, he'll want to like just like go after them all night.
0: Anything that you're going to watch for tomorrow night, Harry? I mean I'm
2: just going to Are you going to watch? I, oh, I'm absolutely – You're going to watch. I'm going to watch. We're going to live blog. We're going to be there. There, there. there you go. I mean I'm going to be honest with you. I'm watching for Trump, baby. Okay, I mean, that's why I got the Trump debate, you know, countdown clock going. I posted it to Twitter. You know, that's what I'm about. I'm about the Trump at this point. All
0: right, uh, with this remaining group, I should just channel the voice of Micah Cohen, our politics editor, who has long been a Perry for some reason booster but Perry's not even going to be on the stage tomorrow but Micah feels Micah has this theory that Perry's back was really terrible last time and, that his, and which is true but that his back is better now he's going to come out and I don't know what Micah was thinking like Perry would come out and like, do push-ups on stage and prove to everyone that he's in great shape or whatever but he's not even going to get a chance so do any of these candidates who don't even get a chance to be in the debate tomorrow night is this a death knell for them or can they still keep going
1: such a deep field. Like, what's the rationale for taking another chance on, on Perry or a first chance on Perry, right. right? Or, or Jindal? I mean, you know, Fiorina, I don't know. Um, it's a different background than other Republicans have. She's the only woman. Um, her favorability numbers have actually been pretty good. Um, so I think and she
0: might be in the race for, for VP, right? Might be
1: in the race for VP, but I would look to see if, if, uh, you know, She's the one that, if she were on the 10 candidate stage, at least could be interesting, right? Um, so I yeah. think maybe that's good watching the JV debate.
0: You're going to watch the JV
1: debate. It's, it's my job, Jody, yeah. but for entertainment <laughs> also, yeah.
0: There's a lot of debates. I'm going to watch the JV debate as well. I am.
1: All right. Let's move on. Odds of Hillary Clinton
0: winning the Democratic
1: nomination. Nate? So if you go to a betting market, she's at eighty percent. i have her a smidge higher at eighty five. She's only at
0: eighty percent at betting markets.
1: Only at eighty percent. Yeah. Interesting.
3: I have her at ninety seven.
1: Ninety seven percent.
0: I like that. Ninety three. Ninety three. Both of you guys pretty
1: pretty high up there. This is part well, let me make a a point here. Like yeah. one reason why we do these subjective odds is because it helps us say like we don't seem to have very much disagreement, right? Um but I'm sure there are some reporters who I have like traded barbs with on, on Twitter or whatnot. You, they, Never. me, yeah. yeah. And they oh. say, well, you know, Bernie Sanders has a chance, right? And then if we sat down in this room, not knowing each other's numbers, I'd say eighty-five percent, and they'd say ninety-one percent or something like that, right? right? So it helps to kind of clarify our language a, a little bit here.
0: That you're you're saying in the grand scheme of things, eighty-five and ninety-seven lead to the same basic statement, which is she's far and away the front runner.
1: For sure. Yeah. And we can debate, you know, um, you know, I inherently tend to hedge my bets a little bit because we have not had that many years when the primary process was was like this. Yeah. Right.
3: Yeah. This is a very unusual. Like we were looking back last year late before the whole Bernie Sanders thing happened. Like last year we we were looking at it. It's like you kind of maybe like. I mean, never, never in the once the never in the primary process has it been like this, where somebody's just really so far in away been. Though.
0: Has there ever been Harry an historical analog to this?
3: I, I mean,
2: I guess you could say the 2000 Democratic nomination 2000. is 2000 Harry.
0: It's so recent. I wanted I, you to I pull know. something out from the.
2: I'm sorry. 19th I'm, century I'm, I'm or, sorry. Right. And, uh, facts are facts. You know, 2000. They, Go ahead. Yeah, um, 2000. You had Gore, who pretty much I believe had all the endorsements, but one. I think you know Paul Wellstone had gotten behind Bill Bradley. Um, You look at the polling in Iowa, New Hampshire, nationally, it it matches up beautifully, whereby, you know, Gore's biggest lead was nationally, just like Clinton's biggest lead is nationally, because Clinton and Gore both do very well among African Americans. Um, You look in Iowa, which is sort of where they their second best place, the best of the early states, both Clinton and Gore. And then you look in New Hampshire, which is where they're, quote unquote, struggling with, you know, figures sort of in the mid 40s, but still leading the competition at this point. And it should be pointed out that although Sanders has certainly risen much more in New Hampshire than in other places, he's right next door in Vermont. It's a very white state, and Clinton's lead has been holding. She's holding in the mid-40s. If you look at the polling in late July and you look at the polling in early June, Sanders' surge has pretty much topped out, and Clinton has like about a 5 to 10 percentage point lead.
0: So maybe the more more interesting way to ask about Clinton is Has it, has it changed in the last – week or month or two months so
1: we've we've it's been a while jody since we it's had been the a last while since we these odds. Odds. So i don't remember where um, you were last i think time. i was at like 80 but so in my opinion it's not changed very much right and you see i mean there's frankly the democratic primary is boring compared to the gop so you have the breast press desperate to concoct some narrative about bernie sanders or joe biden or whatnot you know the fact is that clinton has more than half the vote in primary polls, usually. Um, she has 99.9% of the endorsements. So, but who's far. the
3: one
0: person? You said there was one person who didn't
3: endorse. There's one congressman who's endorsed O'Malley. Uh
0: huh. All right. And all, every other endorsement has gone to Clinton.
1: Um, but, you know, I guess, you know, I have Biden in second place, I guess, and not Sanders. Right. Uh, you know, I think, who knows? I mean, she does get very negative press coverage. There is a chance of a scandal. There could be a health issue. Although all these Democrats are really old, <laughs> right? You know, Hillary yeah. is actually in the younger, younger. half yeah. of the Democratic field, um, mm-hmm. and as a woman, you basically get, you know four extra years alive. So there's a bigger difference there. If um, <laughs> you're banking on
0: that, uh, okay. So let's go to that to the rest of the candidates. And oh, do you want to say something? Well, about I'll say Clinton? something
3: about the rest of the candidates, which is it's very late. Um, Matt Connelly of the Free Beacon wrote a nice post yesterday about uh, different late entrance uh, entries into the presidential field: Wesley Clark, Fred Thompson, Rick Perry. None of them did well uh, for Joe Biden or anyone else to join this late. There's Hillary Clinton has raised already. I mean, more than this, but reported between the Super PAC and her campaign about sixty million dollars. Um, she she has many of she has basically hired everyone working in democratic politics and they are basically spending all of their time doing organizing meetings in Iowa and New Hampshire. It's just a very, it's a very high barrier to entry for someone else.
0: At what point, well, go ahead, Nate, do you have something on that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, my scenario for like Biden, right. Isn't Biden beating Hillary. It's that, it's that the campaign implodes for some Mm -hmm. reason or another. Right. that's kind of a hard number to, to estimate yeah right um you know maybe me a little but bit.
0: but you did say seven you had to put a number on and i appreciate you picking an actual number i do think se- if if
3: the campaign does implode like in the unlikely event that the obama justice department prosecutes hillary clinton for her email <laughs> security uh i think i would guess i would bet that there would be a lot of pressure on somebody like deval patrick or kirsten Gillibrand or someone who's young younger. You think th- it goes Patrick to the Yeah. I mean I think to... and it would become like this weird thing that like would excite a very small group of people but probably wouldn't ultimately be successful.
0: <laughs> you don't think there's <laughs> gonna be a Clinton class. Harry
1: gave a shruggy Harry gave us it wasn't even a shruggy because a, a shruggy radio. is kind
0: of more like hopeful and fun and that was just kind of like eh. I,
2: I mean I have at ninety three percent basically odds of where President Obama stood on the eve of the 2012 election, his odds versus Mitt Romney, which is, sure, something could happen. You know, I could walk into the middle of Times Square and propose to a woman I never met, and she could accept. But my guess is that that's not going to happen. And if it does happen, then we can reevaluate them. But, you know, that gives us a chance to say it's not a sure thing. But It's as close to a sure thing at this point you probably could have for a non-incumbent running for a nomination.
0: And so what were you thinking when you read the series of Biden articles this week? I
2: was thinking, man alive, I wish I didn't tell myself that I couldn't bet because I sure as hell would love to bet against some of these people writing these Biden articles.
1: I mean, the Biden articles were very, like, to be sure-y, right? Like, you know, to be sure, Hillary Clinton is the best candidate – ever at the stage the nomination process, but Joe Biden, you know. Mm -hmm. um, You know, they weren't very convincing. With that said, if there is a problem with Clinton campaign, I think, to your point about it being pretty late, you know, Biden's run for president twice before, run for vice president successfully twice. Um, You know, that's why he's a break glass in case of emergency candidate, I think might not be a great general election nominee for Democrats, but, um, you know, one other conversation is, how come the Democratic field is is so thin? Because you could talk about like a Gillibrand or a Deval Patrick or a Hickenlooper or, or whoever else, right? You know, Castro brothers, why are they not getting more notoriety and, and attention? Um, that's a good question, right? You know, some would say it's because Hillary is so strong that she gobbles up all the resources that would go to another candidate like that, right? So the fact that the field seems so weak is a sign of, Clinton's strength. I'm not sure I completely buy that, given how badly Democrats were decimated in 2010.
3: Yeah, see, that's what I, I would my, uh, they didn't win governor's seats and yeah. in, in Senate in big Senate seats in 2010 and it, and that's where many of these the Republican guys are coming from, basically.
0: Are any of these people on this list gunning for the VP spot with Hillary? O'Malley, Webb, I don't know.
2: Lincoln Chafee. Lincoln, no. Chafee. I, I guess maybe O'Malley might be, but O'Malley. Um, Everyone a, is shaking their. It's head. just the wrong place, the wrong time, and the wrong candidate.
1: Yeah, with scrutiny over policing strategies in Baltimore, it's <laughs> yeah. you yeah. know it's sort of quote unquote unlucky. You know, that's an issue. Personally, I'm glad it's getting a lot more attention. So that's why I put it in scare quotes. But you know, um, that's the thing that people kind of know about him. He's not had a good campaign so far.
3: The so two things about O'Malley is everything that he, other than that, which he isn't particularly liberal, on, like immigration, he has a very liberal record on guns, a few other things. He has very liberal records on from Maryland taxes. He has a very unpopularly liberal record on in Maryland. Uh, Hillary Clinton's gone to the, like started off like opened by being like, what do activists want on immigration? Right. I'll do it. Um, so it, there's no like wedge for him there. And also, it no has anyone ever, like, campaigned this hard for this long without, like, any movement?
0: He's just staying where he is. It's okay.
1: just a sad state of affairs, my friend. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is, like, half these guys running the Democratic field aren't actually Democrats. Like, Bernie Sanders, it's weird how you have, like, kind of the corporate media rooting for the socialist, basically, because he's the most interesting story in the Democratic right. Party. Um, look, uh... There is a lot of cherry picking, I think, in the coverage of the polls that we see for Bernie Sanders. To my eyes, it looks like his momentum has stalled out a bit, which is kind of what you would expect. I mean, he went from having about 50% name recognition to now, I imagine he's up closer to 80 or 90, right, especially in New Hampshire and Iowa. People know who he is. And unlike Trump, where it's a little bit murky where his support is coming from, Sanders is winning white liberals. That's about a third of the Democratic electorate overall. Um, it's about 50 percent, however, in Iowa and New Hampshire. And that kind of explains why his numbers are where they are in, in different states.
3: Sanders is campaigning this weekend in Portland and Seattle.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, and what and why? Because he want, that's where he will, will raise money and be, then he'll take that money maybe, to Iowa Maybe. I don't know. I
3: think it's going to just be like a sort of like – an actual episode of Portlandia type, like (laughs) 20,000 people.
0: But you can imagine his calculus being, I go here, I will get huge crowds, I will energize people, and if there's one or two national reporters who followed me here, they'll write a piece, and that'll keep my buzz His
1: biggest ally is the media right now, right? Because the media is desperate for some type of storyline to cover. Obviously, there are other issues surrounding how they cover Clinton in particular, being a Clinton and a woman, and there are issues around that. Um, but, you know, actually I think one thing the Clinton campaign needs to do is, is not panic, right? Because objectively they're doing very, very well. Um, but I think that mostly negative media coverage will not change until we get into the general election phase of the race, right? Um, expectations are so high until she actually accepts the nomination or say wins Iowa by 20 points when polls predict 10, right? Um, everything else will be seen as is a disappointment. All right. Last point from Harry.
2: One last point. YouGov asked Democratic voters where they see themselves on the ideological scale and where they put the candidates. Clinton, right up against the average Democratic voter. Sanders, well to the left. I know this is difficult for people to understand, but Democratic voters are where Hillary Clinton is, ideologically speaking.
0: All right, everyone. Thanks for doing this. That brings us to the end of our latest totally subjective presidential odds we should say that tomorrow night uh during the both the jv and the varsity debate uh 538 will be live blogging and you can devote a tab to buzzfeed as well what do you got do you have anything planned we have Catherine?
3: a lot of we are going to cover the hell out of this debate so both <laughs> both both editions.
0: all right thanks to nate silver Harry Enton from Hello. 538 and Catherine Miller <laughs> from BuzzFeed. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. My name is Jody Abergan. Uh, subscribe to What's the Point if you want to keep getting these, or you can find them on the website at 538.com. And hopefully, we'll see you at the live blog on Thursday night.